Your world is you. I am my world. Fact. Be gone. You're listening to Burdens, the podcast. Your world is you. I am my world. This is Burdens, the podcast where I read one of my stories every month. Episode 1. Back in 2020, when everybody had more time than they have now, I started writing all this fiction. I've written a lot of non-fiction books in the past. Maybe you've heard of them, maybe you've read them, maybe not. It doesn't matter. I, I just had started something new. It was a new hobby for me, writing fiction. And after I'd had several short stories under my belt, the next question was, how do I share them with the world? And you might think that's an easy question to answer. I mean, you just get a publisher, right? You put a book together, send them into a magazine, but that's not the way the world works anymore. People, you know, to be frankly honest, people don't buy a whole lot of books. They don't read magazines and They don't read short stories, so I wasn't going to have much luck sharing them with the world that way. But people do like things that are free, and they like to listen to podcasts. So I had the idea, why don't I read my stories on a podcast, and this is the first attempt at that. And this first story is called The Worst of All Lies, and I figured when I bring these stories into the podcast, I would tell you a little bit about them in an introduction. So, here's what I'd like to say about this one. First of all, be watching for this old man. It's a recurring character that's in a lot of my stories, not all of them, but you'll see him popping up from time to time. He's kind of a prophet character. I'm not sure I want to say a whole lot about who he is. I think it'd be better if you just discover him through the stories as they unfold. And the other thing that I hope you'll find interesting is part of this story, the part that occurs in the market involving the old man came to me in a dream. I woke up one night with this dream in my head and I thought, I'd like to see if I could work that into a story. It was a lot harder to do than I thought it would be, but maybe it worked. Listen, see what you think. The Worst of All Lies Every month... Amos left the solitude of his farm for the jostle and trade of the market. Few distractions overcame his general lack of interest in other human beings, but the market had a powerful allure. The bartering cries and sour aromas under its colorful canopies beckoned him away from the safety of the fields and convinced him to drop his rake, bid farewell to the goats, and saddle his mare for a trip to town. His farm was isolated, nothing but crows and a few jackals for neighbors, unless you counted crazy old Silas who lived in the hills. He ate carrion, and you couldn't understand half of the incoherent babble that drooled out his mouth, not much company for a young farmer trying to get started in a new place. The market was about the only social interaction Amos ever enjoyed. 
So he looked forward to his monthly visits, even if they strained his natural aversion to human interaction. After his parents died, Amos bought a rocky patch of farmland using his father's inheritance and occupied it with a pinful of jumpy goats and a few rows of corn. The farm had been poorly managed by the previous tenant. The soil was terrible, and most of the fences needed repairing, but the place was his. He was owner, manager, plowman, harvester, goat herder, and carpenter. It was hard work, but he wouldn't have it any other way. He liked living alone. Given the choice between working with someone who had his own mind about how to do things and running his own life, he chose the latter, even if it meant having to work harder. Even if he had a bum leg. Amos walked with a bad limp because of an accident on his family's farm after his parents had both died. It slowed him down, but he functioned well enough. His crooked gait did attract a lot of attention when he was in town, though, which was why he preferred to be alone most of the time. People didn't know it, but he could feel them staring, wondering about his stiff leg, even if they stole a quick glance. He used an explanation he kept handy just for the occasions. It's from a farming accident, he would say. When I was very young, a log dammed up our river and flooded valuable farmland. I mangled it, helping my grandfather free it. We had run a rope through a tree for leverage and tied one end to the log, and I had the misfortune of holding the other end when the log broke free. It pulled me through the tree and ruined my leg. It's stiff, and it hurts to put weight on it, but otherwise I do pretty well. Amos told this story so many times he could repeat it in his sleep. He used to ignore the looks and the questions, thinking that was the fastest way to take the focus off his leg, but evasion only sparked more curiosity. He told the story as quickly and with as little detail as possible, hoping it helped people move on, even if he couldn't. While he was on his farm, he worked unnoticed, except for the occasional jackal and crazy old Silas, away from the pity and judgment. People act as if they're curious because they care, but really their interest is driven by the universal human need to find a tragedy bad enough to make them feel glad it didn't happen to them. Most of the time, Amos liked the solitude, but he got lonely sometimes which is why he looked forward to days when he went to the market. He could eavesdrop on conversations and nod at strangers just enough to keep his need for human companionship alive, like a starving prisoner living off bread and rusty water. Amos had just bought a cartload of alfalfa hay and leaned against one of the poles supporting the tents on the far side of the market, watching some boys load it onto his cart. He paid them a shekel each for their help and watched them race each other to the adjacent field, their long legs kicking the dust behind them as they ran. He patted the horse, checked the traces, cinched the belly band, and set the brake on the cart. He fed the horse some of the alfalfa, told her he'd return soon, and limped into the market to look for something to eat. He walked in an abnormal gait, taking one easy step with his right leg followed by another labored heave of his left leg, his arms joining in the effort with the same irregular rhythm. Although it had been suggested many times, Amos refused to use a cane. He wanted to be normal and walk unassisted like the other farmers his age, although by insisting on walking without an aid, his limp drew far more attention to himself than a cane. Amos weaved through the crowds in the market. From overhead, he must have looked like driftwood in a river, 
out of rhythm with the water, trying to follow the flow, but clumsily failing to keep up with the current. On his way to the other side of the market, Amos heard voices of a group of boisterous young men behind him and picked up his pace, but the voices did not disappear into the din of the market. If anything, they grew louder. The men seemed to be following him. He could feel their stares. They're mocking me, he thought. Pests. Mealworms. He stopped at a booth and pretended to examine a basket of figs, hoping they'd lose interest and move past him. But when he turned to go, he came face to face with one of them, apparently the king of the mealworms. He looked at Amos the way a lion watches its prey and smiled unnaturally. Can I help you? Amos asked nervously. The figs here are adequate, the king of the mealworms said. But I can show you another place that sells the best in this region. Thanks, said Amos, but I really must be going. Hey, what happened to your leg? King Mealworm asked abruptly, feigning concern. Oh, said Amos annoyed. I heard it in an accident. He didn't have time to tell the story. See those men over there? He pointed. Amos saw three more Mealworms watching him about thirty yards away. I told them you hurt your leg climbing out of the window of a brothel. Why did you do that? Asked Amos, angry and shocked that anyone would do something so heartless. How does someone come up with an idea like that? Did he lie awake in his mealworm bed made of rotten wood, dreaming up schemes to destroy the reputations of hard-working, God-fearing citizens? Amos felt dejected. Limping around on a bad leg was hard enough. Why did he also have to play a sideshow freak for the amusement of others? Instead of answering his question, the king rejoined the worm subjects, walking backwards, shrugging and smiling at Amos. The other mealworms looked at Amos and laughed contemptuously. Amos stormed over to the four men who braced for his approach, eager for the confrontation. Whatever he told you is a lie, he said. I have never seen this man in my life, nor have I in all my years ever visited the establishment he accuses me of visiting. That's not what we heard, said one of the worms, grinning maliciously. I hurt my leg in a farming accident. My grandfather and I were trying to dislodge a log that had dammed up the river, and I was pulled into a tree. The men grinned at one another. Look, Amos said, it doesn't matter. The point is, I didn't hurt it climbing out of a window. Who are you going to believe, he shouted. Him? Amos lost his temper at this point, and gave his accuser a shove when he said this. The countenance of the king darkened four shades in a matter of seconds, and he lunged at Amos and might have knocked him off his unsteady feet if it had not been for one of the mealworms who caught his king by the sleeve before he made contact. Amos sensed he was in danger. He tried to walk back the tension and reason with them. Forgive my outburst, please. Try to see this from my point of view. This man doesn't know me. I've never seen him before in my life. Why would you listen to him? I'm the one with the busted leg. That's just it, said a short, sweaty member of the group with stubble for a beard. Why would you tell us the truth if you have something to hide? He looked at the others as he said this to see if he had impressed them with this argument. They laughed and slapped him on the back in support. The commotion was beginning to attract the attention of the market-goers. Amos decided to change his strategy. It would be better to beat a hasty retreat than to allow himself to be consumed by a pack of mealworms for the entertainment of the gossip-hungry crowd in the market. 
You know the truth, he said as he turned to leave and stormed off in the direction of the cantina. In the market, booths covered in red and blue canopies lined walkways with just enough clearance for customers to pass without brushing up against one another, an important feature in that area where the hills were filled with hot-headed sheep herders. Young girls helped their mothers unpack dates, figs, olives, and pomegranates. They followed instructions with brown, submissive eyes while their brothers chased each other in the field nearby. A woman selling dyed wool nodded politely as he passed, and a group of wives stood at a table looking at pottery, picking up each piece and setting it back down, unable to find a match for the perfect prototypes in their heads. The voices, the shoulders brushing against him, the activity, the smell of food and animals. It all restored something in Amos he lost while working all those hours on the farm. The teasing he received from those bullies still bothered him. He kept going over what they said in his mind. They probably had not left the market yet, and he feared he might run into them again. Amos wished he could smash those stupid grins off their faces, shut them up, stop the hideous laughter. But he knew it was futile to dream of revenge. Revenge dreams of fairness, but nothing's fair. Besides, those mealworms weren't the ones who took his leg. If it hadn't been for his grandfather, he would be whole, and he wouldn't have to suffer the stares and the mockery. He was young when the accident occurred. His grandfather should have been looking out for him. His parents had died, and he had no one else who could protect him. Instead of taking care of him, his grandfather used him as a farmhand, putting him to work on projects too dangerous for an inexperienced young boy. If his grandfather had not been such a cheapskate and hired farm workers, he would not have gotten hurt. Life may have been hard for Amos now that he was on his own, but at least he no longer had to take orders from that old skin flint. Even with a bum leg, he was safer without him. This was all his fault, and Amos could never forgive him for robbing him of a good life so young, before he had even had a chance to begin. Amos was lost in this miserable reverie when he came to an abrupt stop. He couldn't continue any farther through the market because a large crowd clogged the flow of traffic. The crowd that prevented his progress built itself around a single booth in the market, the way a hornet's nest gathers around a solitary limb on a tree. Amos pushed his way toward the front so that he could see. A gaunt old man wearing a shaggy hide sat at a wooden table with his hands folded. The table held nothing but a bowl covered by a cloth to keep the flies away and a sign adorned by two words written in a nearly illegible scrawl. The sign read, Good Beef. Come while supplies last, the old man was saying. Beef from Israel's finest cattle that grazed the lush valleys of the Negeb. You'll never taste anything finer. Eat this meat, and you will gain the strength of ten meals. You will not have to eat for another three days, Scour the earth as they may, Elijah's ravens could never find a better meal. I know someone's hungry. Who will nourish their bodies with these fine victuals? A small group of young men pushed their friend toward the table. He approached warily and lifted the cloth that hid the contents of the bowl. He looked back at his companions and smiled. Should I? he asked. Should you? asked the old man. Why, you'd be crazy not to. No finer beef can be found in this valley. You may never come across quality food like this in your life again. Take my word for it. You're going to need your strength.
"'What's that supposed to mean?' asked the young man. "'Generally speaking,' said the old man, winking. "'The young man threw down a shekel, "'reached into the bowl with his fingers, "'and fished out a piece of meat. "'It looked dry and gray. "'While his friends urged him to eat, "'he opened his mouth, "'placed the meat onto his tongue, "'and with tremendous effort took a bite. "'He had to wiggle the meat back and forth "'to break off a piece.' He chewed thoughtfully for a moment, and then a look of alarm darkened his expression. He stopped chewing and twisted up his face, closing his eyes tightly and shaking his head violently. Some of the women in the crowd gasped, and the man's friends laughed hysterically, slapping each other on the back. Tears streamed down his cheeks, and he turned pale. Sick and embarrassed, he ran away from the crowd so that he could vomit in peace. Abandoned by the source of their entertainment, the spectators dispersed into the market to finish their shopping. Amos stayed back and leaned on a pole examining the old man, who went about his business as if he had not been surprised by the customer's reaction. Amos watched him remove the sign, wipe it with his sleeve, and write something else. When he returned the sign to its position, it read, Good Venison, in the same crooked scroll. The same bowl sat untouched on the table. Amos chuckled to himself. What was that crazy old man up to? He found a stool in the shade and sat down and waited to see what would happen next. After a few minutes, the old man renewed his pitch. Try this fresh venison killed just yesterday in the Negeb from a herd of deer hydrated in the rushing waters of Jordan, the same waters once piled high by the Lord himself. Nourished on the green grasses of the promised land, the nourishing meat before me comes from a majestic stag, skillfully hunted by a man of the fields who supplies me with the freshest cuts available in all of Israel. Any man who eats this venison runs faster and leaps higher. Any woman grows younger. You can watch the lines on her face retreat, apologizing for ever having appeared. Gray hairs return to their glossy black condition. Who will try the first morsel? Another crowd formed. Amos recognized a few of the spectators from the first round, but several new potential customers gathered, curious about the strange old man with the mysterious age-defying venison. A broad-shouldered, ginger-bearded priest wearing a black tunic two sizes too small for him approached the table and tried to lift the cloth. The old man slapped his hand with a speed that seemed impossible for someone his age. "'Now why did you do that?' asked the priest. "'Flies,' answered the old man. "'I merely wanted to look at the meat you have for sale. How am I supposed to know if it's fit for consumption? I think it's only fair to let you know I have received complaints about this booth. I just spoke with a young man who claims he ate some beef that made him ill here.' He must have me mistaken for someone else, cried the old man. Can't you read? The sign says good venison, not beef. Several of the people who had been around for the old man's earlier performance roared with laughter. The priest turned around angrily, intending on scolding them for mocking him, but the size of the crowd that had gathered surprised him so that he forgot what he was going to say. He turned back to the old man. Are you going to show me what you are selling or not? He said, his voice rising with anger. I can't allow everyone to handle and breathe all over my cuisine. I have standards to uphold. 
Only actual customers get to see the food after they pay. That's the way it works in every restaurant I know. What restaurant? You have a bowl of meat on a table, the priest screamed. His forehead bunched together as if it were working against his eyes to keep them from looking at the old man who was making him lose his temper. Venison, the old man said, correcting him. It says so on the sign. I don't believe this, shouted the priest. Someone in the crowd shouted, Are you buying or not? Either place your order or move aside so someone else can eat. More laughter erupted from the crowd, and the old man grinned. You seem skeptical. Perhaps you would like to try a sample. It's no charge, the old man offered. Oh, this is absurd. I'm not hungry. I'm just following up on a report that you're selling spoiled meat. How could anyone accuse me of selling spoiled meat? asked the old man, putting a hand to his chest with the affectation of a man who's been insulted. I've come a long way to bring this venison to a region that wouldn't have access to it otherwise. Come now, you're joking. Admit it, said the priest. Sir, I stand by my product, the old man said, rising from his chair to hold the priest in his gaze. You are a man who has a great deal of pride, he said. A man the people respect. Your wife and children obey your every command. You never take a misstep, do you? The priest faced the old man, entranced, while the crowd silently listened. A priest must be perfect, mustn't he? Never a wrong step, never a wicked deed. He would never do anything like take a bribe, would he? The priest, now mesmerized by the old man's words, didn't move. He stood flat-footed with his hands on the table, leaning awkwardly toward the old man with his rear end jutting out at the crowd. Now, said the old man as he slowly lifted the cloth from the bowl, be a good little priest and eat your meat. He reached in the bowl and lifted a slice of the boiled gray flesh to the priest's waiting mouth, which meekly opened to accept it. The moment the priest swallowed, the spell broke. Overcome with panic, he spun wildly, clutching his throat as the crowd looked on with a mix of faces, ranging from amusement to worry. He wheezed and coughed, stamping the ground, and his eyes bulged out of his head. The priest had a ruddy complexion to begin with, but now his face turned blood red, and he seemed to be fighting for breath. He's choking, someone yelled, and a concerned bystander slapped him on the back, trying to dislodge the meat from his throat. A few others assisted the priest, and after several minutes of trying to hold him still while he thrashed about, coughing and wheezing, they helped him dislodge the murderous piece of meat he had swallowed and led him off somewhere to lie down. The crowd no longer paid attention to the old man and his gourmet meat sale and dissipated into little groups that left the booth one by one the way spilled water dries, gathering into droplets and then evaporating. Amos watched groups of two, three, or more converse about where they would go next, what they would do when they got there, and how they would go home together. Soon only he and the old man were left. Amos approached the table as the old man gathered his things. The old man looked up at him and said, A full day's work, not much to show for it, just this lonely shekel. He tossed the shekel in his hand before depositing it somewhere in the depths of the hide he wore for clothing. He whipped the cloth from the top of the bowl 
and Amos saw the meat curled up in the bottom, sleeping like rats in a nest. The flies, who'd been waiting for this moment, attacked the meat ferociously like vultures on a fresh kill. The old man took the bowl and pitched the contents into the tall grass behind his tent. Why did you do that? Amos asked. It's covered with flies. No, I mean, why did you go to the expense and trouble of setting up a booth in a market to sell rancid meat? Rancid meat? I'll have you know that I sell the finest cuts in this part of Israel. Sure, said Amos, as he followed the old man out of the market. He carried nothing but the bowl with the cloth he had used for a covering folded neatly and resting inside. It came to the old man's donkey, and the old man took out a handful of oats and fed it to her while stroking her nose. Susanna's been with me a long time, haven't you, girl? He smiled proudly and continued stroking the animal. Yes, we've been through a lot together. He looked at Amos and said, She's a little depressed today, I'm afraid. She lost her sister, Joanna. He patted the donkey's neck. There, there, Susie. Don't be sad. You'd be proud of Joanna. She did good work today. Amos suddenly realized what this meant. You don't mean... Joanna? She was in the bowl? But why? It's like this, my son, the old man said as he mounted the donkey. Some people lie to deceive. I lie to wake the sleeping masses. I tell the obvious lies. He could see that Amos failed to understand the distinction. The truth is always there right in front of us. We just don't see it because we are focused on other things. So truth sometimes has to stand on its head to get our attention. Get it? Sort of, said Amos. Not really. The old man now spoke to Amos the way he spoke to the priest, staring into him. His eyes no longer flickered as they did when he spoke about his donkeys. Now they hardened into two black onyx stones, like the joints of an ephod, with a urim and thummim of their own, judging him as misguided and incomplete. Find your home, my son. Then you may heal. Nothing will heal this useless leg, Amos said, looking away from the old man across the fields. I'm not talking about your leg, said the old man. He clucked softly to Susanna and rode away from the market as Amos stood watching him go. Amos found his horse and cart full of alfalfa waiting for him. The sun hugged the horizon and rose-colored light bathed the canopies of the market with warmth. Amos checked to make sure no one was looking before he mounted the horse, and then with his good foot in the stirrup, lunged forward, keeping one hand on the saddle and slinging his limp leg over the horse with the other. His fear of being seen struggling to mount his horse renewed his frustrations. Find your home, the old man said. Then you may heal. Amos thought about his words. What did they mean? Could that crazy old man really know something about him? The thought of returning home turned his stomach more, perhaps, than a bite of donkey meat. Still, something in the old man's words rang true. Amos pressed his lips together and stared in the direction of his farm. Then he turned the horse and cart toward Beth Hayden, the village where he was raised, and the home of his last living relative, his grandfather. Beth Hayden was three hours on horseback from the market, and even though it would be dark before he arrived, Amos promised himself he would not stop riding until he got there. He didn't know what he would say to his grandfather when he saw him. It had been a decade since he had been home. 
He had not returned since he stole one of the family's donkeys and rode away in the moonlight to find a new life for himself. Now he was returning as he had left, led by the moon, under a hood of darkness. Amos didn't know why, but he believed the old man's words held the key to his whole life. Of course, the old man could have been playing with him, just as he harassed the priest. But he wasn't going to spend the rest of his life wondering what might have been if he had taken the old man's advice. I'm going back home to finally face that old misanthrope. Amos imagined his grandfather's bent figure clawing at the dust with a rusty tool, grunting in that way of his like a pig rooting for grubs. He got off easy when I stole away. Now he will have to hear the truth I've bottled up for the last several years. His heart beat with anticipation, and he'll see that I've got on well without him. Everything was quiet when he pulled up to the homestead, which he expected at such a late hour. He rode to the barn first so that he could unhitch the horse and feed it some of the alfalfa hay. The horse whinnied gratefully when he removed the collar straps and bridle. He found an old burlap sack and brushed her down quickly. Don't get too cozy, girl, he said. I plan to be sleeping in my own bed by the time the sun rises. After he spoke, he realized the only ears in the barn besides his own belonged to his horse. He had not noticed how empty it was before, because he had been so busy taking care of his animal. Where were his grandfather's donkeys? Where was the old plow horse? Had his disappearance been so hard on his grandfather that he had to sell some of the livestock? Was he still farming? Amos walked to the goat pen expecting to be greeted by several flop-eared, bawling nannies, but all was quiet, and the grass had grown tall in the pen. There was no sign of life anywhere for that matter. The farm looked abandoned. The house was cold and neglected. No smoke rose from the chimney, no lamplight shone from within, and in the moonlight, Amos could see one of the shutters hanging on a broken hinge. An owl broke the silence with a forlorn cry. A sickening thought occurred to him, and he limped to the hill where his parents were buried. He and his grandfather had lain them to rest in a cave and covered the opening with a stone. He came to the white rock wall of the cave and read his parents' names, chiseled by his own hand, Lilith and Onan. Someone, he knew not who, had added a third. He tried to read it, but his eyes failed him. He recognized the individual characters carved into the stone, but his mind refused to string them together into meaning. He could not decipher them. Was it another name? Had someone else been laid to rest alongside his parents' bones? The letters nestled deep in the cold stone. He stared at them until his eyes crossed. Finally, they formed a familiar word, a name. Elhanan. At first, the name did not register. All thought raced away from him except for the letters staring back at him. His head became stone, the letters etched upon his brow. Elhanan. What does it mean? A cold realization washed over him, shocking him back into a state of awareness. His grandfather. So he too had died on this accursed farm. Amos fell to his knees and gaped at the rock, rechiseling the name with his eyes, searching for another interpretation, trying to make them mean something, anything other than the name of the man he had come to Beth Hayden to confront. He remembered the old man in the market. How could he have listened to that old fool? 
Why was he here? How does this help, old man? You said go home, but nothing's here. What am I supposed to do now? Confronting his grandfather wouldn't have healed him anyway. Amos had already tried that. He blamed his grandfather for being careless, and his grandfather told him everything was his own fault. Did his grandfather love him? Was he there when Amos needed him most? Did he fill in for the mother and father whose bones lay in the cold ground? No. Instead, he complained that Amos should have let go of a rope. Letting go was impossible, but even if he could have let go, he would have held on anyway. He would have jumped into that tree and broken his leg himself if he thought that might have impressed him. His heart turned to tar as he descended the hill toward the empty house. He stepped onto the porch and tried the door. It swung open easily into a quiet, forgotten room. His grandfather's room. Back in the old skin flint's lair, he thought. What did he do here all alone during his final days? How did he occupy his time? Was he strategizing his next plan of attack? Trying to figure out how to draw me back home? Squeeze more life out of me when he drew his last breath? Everything was covered by a patina of dust. In the moonlight, Amos could make out a few of his grandfather's meager possessions. A plate, a bowl, a goblet littered with cobwebs on top of a rough-hewn table set for one, a lonesome chair, a walking cane leaning in the corner, a crude pallet on the floor covered with moth-eaten blankets, ashes in a cold fireplace, shelves littered with various pieces of farming equipment, a wooden bucket. Amos remembered lying on the pallet, screaming in pain, longing for his mother, and then remembering she was dead. He remembered his grandfather's face, creased with worry but disfigured by a mouth speaking mismatched words. Shh! It's not as bad as it looks. Just lay quiet. Try to sleep. We'll patch you up, and in a few days you'll be as good as new. His grandfather had dabbed pointlessly with a rag at his busted leg. Accidents happen, he said. If you had just let go of the rope, we could have found some other way. If you had just let go... For days, Amos tossed and turned with fever, his grandfather hovering over him, whimpering, Oh, what am I going to do? When it became clear that Amos would never fully recover and would walk with a limp the rest of his life, his grandfather complained, crying to no one in particular, Why did this happen to me? How will I get it all done? How will I feed the animals? How will I till the fields? Who will help me now? Amos, for his part, did his best once he recovered. He adapted and learned how to do the work. He was slower, but not useless. And where was his grandfather? Out by the dammed-up river, whittling away at a stick and staring blankly into the water. Amos couldn't spend his youth feeling like a broken tool. So one night, he gave his grandfather what he wanted, and he disappeared. Amos stood in the middle of the abandoned house. What happens now that there will be no healing, he wondered. I'll go back to that rock quarry I call a farm, and till the earth two rows at a time, one with the plowshare and the other with my dragging foot. I'll grow old alone with no one to talk to except for a crazy old hermit unless I drown or fall off a cliff before my time because of this useless leg. The people in the market will keep staring. The mealworms will continue to make up stories about me and I will be buried and forgotten on that hill beside my grandfather and my parents. This last thought stung the most, 
not because he feared death, but because no matter how hard he pressed his imagination, he couldn't envision someone caring enough to give him a decent burial. It will be weeks, maybe months, before anyone will discover I'm gone. I'll become food for the wild beasts, and they'll auction off the farm and the gates. A thudding sounded in his ears, and his face flushed. All the pity, mockery, laughter, staring, and blame, blame being the strongest, surged, and Amos bellowed shamefully. He turned the table over, smashing the dishes, and raked his arm across the shelves, spilling the farming equipment onto the floor. He kicked at the pallet where he once lay in agony, without his mother to care for him. He took the cane and broke it in two over his good knee. As he was about to chuck the broken cane, a marking caught his eye. Two half-moons under storm clouds over a squiggly line representing water. He recognized it immediately as his grandfather's manner of marking dates. The storm clouds indicated the second month because it fell in the rainy season. The half-moon showed the phase of the moon when the date occurred. The number of the symbols indicated the number of years. Two years, the second month. He knew what that date meant. It was in the second month, two years after his parents died, that the accident occurred. He turned the staff in his hands. His grandfather had decorated it with beautiful designs. It must have taken him a long time. Some writing near the top of the staff caught his eye. Amos read the inscription and realized it was his name. Exhausted, Amos crawled onto the pallet and slept, cradling the broken pieces of the staff his grandfather made for him. He dreamed he was limping down to the river on his grandfather's farm. The sky shone like a jewel, and the closer he came to the river, the stronger his leg felt. He reached the bank and found the river dammed up just as it had been before. A forest of logs crisscrossed at the jam, keeping the river from following its appointed course. He sat down and watched the deep water pool where it should have been flowing. A voice spoke. The old man he met at the market. He was eating flesh, but it wasn't the sickening gray meat he had peddled in the market. Amos could smell its savory aroma. The old man ate ravenously, pulling the meat off the bone with the few incisors he had left. He smiled a greasy smile and said, Take hold of that log there. Amos hesitated. The old man assured him, Stop fighting feudal battles. Take the log in your hands, my son. It is neither for nor against you. Let it take you where it will. Amos reached for the log, a fallen tree that somehow fit his grasp. At his touch it broke free. The dam burst and the pool melted into a fast-flowing river. The water roared all around him, and cool water carried him downstream. He held tightly onto the log and felt a peace he had not known since before the accident. He felt whole again. He kicked at the water to test his leg. It was no longer lame, but was as strong as his good leg. His body floated swiftly in the current. The logs were all around him, but he was not crushed. The water bathed his face, but he could still breathe. He inhaled the rolling water deeply and let the river take him. Then he woke up. He was back in his grandfather's house. Daylight streamed through a window into the room. He felt something in his hands. 
the cane. He was still holding its two broken halves in his hand. Amos stepped out onto the porch and stretched. He hobbled to the barn, fed his horse some of the alfalfa, and patted her gently while he reflected on the old man's schemes in the market, the discovery of his grandfather's death, the broken cane, and the bitter blame he had been nursing in his heart. He studied the cane as he turned the two pieces in his hand. I'll return, he said to the mare. Amos hiked down to the riverbank. No logs dammed up the river as in his dream. Instead, the water rolled freely along its course. Blame is the worst of all lies, he thought. One feasts on blame his whole life and finds in the end he's been chewing on mule meat. He found some resin in one of the old bleeding logs that lay along the bank and applied it to the break in his staff. He glued the pieces of the staff together and took an old rag and wrapped it around the spliced wood. Then he sat down on the bank, holding the healing staff tightly in his hand, and watched the water roll down. You've been listening to Burdens, the podcast. For more stories, go to drewkaiser.com.